Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds Warren. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows podcast. We actually debated changing it to the This Ain't P podcast, but we decided to stick around. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, how are you doing today? Doing well, ready to break down this mini series, even though it probably wasn't as fun as we thought it might be after last night. Um, yeah, I, well, the whole mini, just a quick recap, uh, Pacers are now one and eight in their last nine after dropping both of those games back to back against Boston. Uh, that, that first game, I've watched a lot of games this year at, at, at pretty much every level. Um, I think the first game against Boston was maybe the ugliest game I've watched in in the last year of basketball yeah and just trying to rack my mind not not talking just january just talking this entire season that was a that was an atrocious game oh my god yeah i mean there was a lot of candidates for worst possession of the year from both teams early on in that game i mean jason tatum's rifling passes off of robert williams's head lance stevenson somehow inexplicably gets an eight second count after a missed free throw um, I think Sabonis threw a pass right at somebody's feet in transition. Then there was also like, I think when I watched it back, quite possibly the most inexplicable possession was like, I don't know if everybody knows this, but apparently there's like a force field that uh, shows up if you dribble to the left elbow and Jeremy Lamb went there and got stuck like he was in quicksand for like six seconds, just pivoting around, even though three people were open until he just chucked up a shot. And I don't know what was going on there, but I mean, you could just count it down how many just like absurd possessions there were. But I mean, at the end of it, it kind of got fun, like between, yeah. you know, Jalen and Jason going for shots, the way Sabonis was dealing against their coverage and um, obviously didn't end the way the Pacers wanted it to. But I think with everybody that they had out, they probably didn't feel too bad about that loss overall unlike last night where I think that they should feel pretty bad about how that overall product and process went. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's talk, well, let's keep on the, on the first game for a quick second. Um, I mean, what all do you take away from that game? Cause I thought um, one of, one of, one of the things that stood out obviously, and we have a lot to take, take away from it, I guess, but um, like you mentioned, a lot of guys missing. Uh, Domas and Miles were the only token starters that were still there. I mean, Justin too, but I, we always forget that TJ's a, a player. Hopefully back sometime soon. Um, but I mean, Domas had a really rough game uh, shooting wise, but I thought overall, I mean, he had a just dominant game, 22 rebounds, 10 assists. Um, it felt like they were doing a much better job in that first game of finding him in the middle, getting him more uh, possessions on the roll. Um, just kind of some of the continued stuff that we'd seen in, in past weeks, especially um, once Lance was added to the team and pocket passes were found again. Right. I mean, some of it was the coverage. Yeah. I mean, they, especially when Lance was the ball handler, they were switching all that and then they were staying back and, and kind of conceding those shots to protect him on the roll. I think when I looked over for the whole game, they only had like six roll possessions for not even just Sabonis, but the team as a whole. So they weren't really getting anything out of that against the switches. And then as soon as Sabonis caught it, he was seeing double teams. Now I do think he had a couple of bunnies that were just point blank yeah. that 
he needed to make. And, you know, I think in other games, he probably would make those shots. Then there was maybe one or two spots where he turned into the double team. I think that, you know, you probably need to call that out and be like, Hey, you know, Rob's coming from the blind side from the weak spot so that he can turn in the other direction. But, you know, he also has to be cognizant of that himself where I thought he could have been a little bit sharper, but overall, I mean, Tory, like just calling out Tory for that particular game. But before the season started, I wrote an article about how his rhythm could be somewhat off at times when he was in Denver and when he was making, you know, post cuts around that, particularly in the Western Conference final series that was in the bubble that the Nuggets played against the Lakers, where it it just felt like he was slightly off. But he also has all of that experience from needing to do that against Jokic. So to put him in that closing lineup and have him in a lot towards the back end of the game, not only for what he was doing defensively against the Jays, but also because you know, he was just going and getting shots. Like they weren't running plays for Torrey Craig. It was, you know, Sabonis has two people guarding him and I'm going to cut down the lane or I'm going to hit open shots out of the double teams or whatever. So the chemistry between the two of them down the stretch was really nice to see. But um, yeah, I think that Sabonis could have been better from the field, but I mean, he was quarterbacking and controlled most of that game. I mean, it was clear that that the Celtics had geared their game plan around him for for that particular matchup. And then they switched some of what they were doing for the next game. Once they were healthy. Yeah. I have a, a couple more questions for you off of that too. Um, number one, and this is more observation leading into a question too. Obviously there was a, a trade thing that got thrown out yesterday by the athletic, a, a, you know, like a Ben Simmons trade that we, we've talked about Ben Simmons on this pod more, more times than I think you would expect an Indiana podcast to talk about Ben Simmons. But um <laughs> When I saw the the line that Ben Simmons surrounded by actual shooters it, with the idea of him in Indiana, I was like, what are, are we talking about different teams? Is there another team in Indiana that has shooters that I'm unaware of? Because I think, I mean, not, I think like I know watching these two games against Boston. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think you could find two games more indicative of this season and in, in how teams actually guard the Pacers and whether or not they have, quote unquote shooters or, or spacing on the team. Um, I mean, the team is bottom five and like pretty much every single three point shooting statistic other than attempts. Um, and I, I think again, like, yeah, that last night and the night before uh, two nights before are, are very indicative of that. Like, especially like you're mentioning with how Domas is getting covered. The reason that the Celtics are able to cover him like that is because they don't, they don't frankly give a shit about who, some of the paces are spacing out. So, um, yes, I think that was something that was very indicative in the last couple of games. Yeah, I mean, I think John Hollinger is very smart. I mean, he knows more about yeah, basketball no, it was than not I do. Yeah, yeah, than I do. But I think part of it is, like, in theory, they should be better at shooting the ball than what they've been this year. I mean, I don't know what the numbers were after last night's uh, poor performance from outside the arc. But when I looked that up after I had seen that proposed trade – if because the proposal was just for people who don't know that the Pacers could send Sabonis, Chris Duarte, and TJ Warren to the Sixers for Ben Simmons, Paul Reed, and Isaiah Joe. So my thought process there is while Duarte hasn't done a ton off of screens this year, he's one of he and Justin are basically the only two people who can shoot off of like motion strong or staggers or anything like that. So you'd be taking one of the only other movement shooters you have. And then you would still have Justin who has struggled. He's either making like all of the shots in some games or really struggling to hit any shots in others. And, you know, Brogdon hasn't shot the ball well, but point being is when I looked it up, the only two people that would be left that have shot the ball above 35% from deep 
are O'Shea and Justin Holiday. Like no one else on the team has has shot the ball well. So um, I think on paper, if you look at it, you probably would have assumed that Brogdon would be shooting the ball well. Um, outside of Miles' hot November, he has not shot the ball well any other month. You would probably be thinking he might shoot a little bit better than what he has of late. Um, just like people who would be left. I don't really know who else you want to point out there. I mean, Karras has never been, you know, a particularly efficient shooter, but um, yeah, that's pretty tough for me. And to say that Ben would finally get surrounded by shooters. Um, I think Ben was surrounded by shooters in Philadelphia last year. Tobias Harris was nearly 50, 40, 90. Seth Curry was one of the top three point percentage shooters in the NBA. Danny Green was one of the top shooters from the corners last year. And Joel Embiid, I believe, shot a career mark. Now, none of that was on super high volume. The Sixers didn't shoot a lot of threes, but there was shooting around him. Not to mention the fact that like Embiid constantly draws two defenders that also open stuff up for Ben. So um, I'm pretty well out on all of that. Um, I don't really need to get into it anymore about with Ben, but I mean, the thing that was interesting when you're talking about the Sabonis stuff is, yeah, I mean, my guess is Emi Adoka's thought process in that first game was like, Hey, because Marcus Smart was ducking way under against Kiefer. Like they weren't switching the, the pick and rolls when Kiefer was the ball handler. They were just going under because his release is slower and Kiefer wasn't really hitting those pull-up shots in that particular game. But um, like no offense to the guys that were available, but hey, they have this depleted roster. We're really going to key in on their top guy who is Sabonis and, if, and hope that, you know, the other guys aren't going to beat us. Then when they come to Indiana, they, they were sending help once Sabonis got clearer to the basket but they weren't doubling him on the catch for the most part, like they did in Boston. And when, when Karras was the ball handler, they weren't switching that pick and roll either. I don't think they trusted, especially when Al Horford was guarding Sabonis. I don't think they trusted Al Horford to defend Karras Levert in isolation the same way they did against Lance up in Boston. So the coverage was quite a bit different, but that to your point, when you were talking about the shooters, that was a massive math problem last night. I mean, the Pacers did have some wide open looks that, you know, maybe on a different night that they hit, but when Boston's going to make 18 threes and then you're down at the other end and like good for miles that he was aggressive and looking for his own shots and trying to find his own usage. But that one stretch during the third quarter was kind of egregious in a way because Robert Williams is out getting stitches and Al Horford was on the floor, but Al Horford was guarding either Torrey Craig or O'Shea Brissett. And they were just putting Grant Williams on miles. There was two possessions where they just put Josh Richardson on miles. It was not even a switch. That was just the matchup that they put out there basically being like, Hey, that's all right. If we give that up, you go ahead and hunt that mismatch because either miles isn't going to make all of those shots. Or if he does three is greater than two and we're shooting the lights out of the ball. Like it was basically them just saying, we know we're going to win this, this math problem the same way the heat did in that game when the Pacers got embarrassed on national TV on TNT. So Somewhere, shape, or form, they're going to have to turn some of the shooting around because that was, in some ways, just like a giant oh well from the Celtics on how they were defending them last night. So, yeah. Um, before we even dive into to last night's game more, uh, one of the one of the other questions I want to hit up with you um, since December twenty fifth, well, December twenty sixth, the last the first game in that stretch, uh, but since Christmas, uh, so nine games. Domas is averaging 8.7 free throw attempts. And, and that, that went down a little bit, obviously, uh, in recent games. Part of that's buoyed by some massive free throw attempts uh, across the Cleveland to Brooklyn stretch of games. Um, is Domas, is, is there anything that you think you've noticed about him getting more foul calls other than him just being utilized more in the middle of the floor? Um, because 
I mean, this is obviously a career high uptick in terms of where he's in terms of just drawing fouls in general. And it's been a nice boon for the offense, um, even if it hasn't resulted in more wins or anything. There's a lot more that goes on behind that, as we've talked about. But um, it has been at least a nice part to see that has been a, a just a very important part of his game, getting getting some more free throw generation. Right. You would like to see him hit more of those. I think when they were in New York, he shot he missed. Quite a few yeah, he's only shot throws. 70 and a half percent on on those eight points. And my guess is that the Knicks game dragged that down by quite a bit because I don't I don't even know if he was at 50 in that yeah, game. Yeah, he shot 41 percent for right, the line. Right. That was a, that was a rough one. But um my thinking is kind of twofold. One is like a tinfoil hat thought <laughs> that I'll save until I, I hash out this one. But I mean, during that depleted stretch, which I mean you're going back to to the 26, but during the depleted stretch, I mean, if you look at his numbers. He's getting way more post touches. He's getting way more elbow touches. Like it, it's like you said, he's being purposed more in the middle of the floor. They're also setting. I mean, even last night, even with Brogdon and Levert back, they still use some of those elbow screens for him to attack, attack in inverted situations where he's putting more pressure on the rim rather than, you know, and he did shoot threes against Cleveland out of the pick and pop a few times. And it's not that he hasn't taken any at all, but it's not like, Hey, we're stashing him in the corner so that we can run offense inexplicably through other people. Um, so, I mean, we talked about that clear back when we looked at their free throw attempt numbers and and that they were near the bottom of the league and we're like, how can you fix this? And the lowest hanging fruit was Sabonis because he was their leading free throw getter last year when he was, I mean, and it wasn't a huge number. I think he was around five, but early on for the first stretch of the game, when we talked about it, he was at like three and a half, but my tinfoil hat thought is I, I genuinely did wonder because sometimes teams will do this if if the Pacers had put in some type of complaint because of how he was getting officiated, because there was just certain stretches where he was getting calls. I felt like he wasn't getting in the early part of the season. And I hate being a ref analyst. It's the worst because then, you know, we have to audit every call in a game if we think that there's missed ones. And I think that there probably was some missed ones in that first game against Boston, like when he got poked in the eye and a couple others yeah. where he got hit in the face and there probably should have been trips to the line and there wasn't, but um, I think that it just seemed like there's been a general shift. I mean, I know that Julius Randall mentioned that after one game against the Knicks where he had said that like a ref told him that like, essentially like it's harder to officiate guys when they're more physical because they're not reacting to the contact and you're not necessarily seeing it the same way, which I don't really think should be a thing, but it seems that it is. So I don't know. It's possible. I, I genuinely don't know. I don't want to start something because I don't know if the Pacers did do that, but sometimes teams will if they feel like somebody's taking a lot of contact and the league office might review it. And maybe that led to some type of a shift. But yeah, I mean, it has been big that at least somebody on the teams upped their free throw attempt rate, especially when they weren't going to have guards who as many guards who could get downhill and get to the rim and maybe try to do some of that themselves. Yeah, no. All right, cool. I'm, I'm right there in the same boat as you. Um, well, I guess we can we can dive into last night's game. Um, like you mentioned, with with just just talking about shooting in hey, general. Can I jump in really quick? Yeah, for I, sure. I do feel like we need to talk about what happened in the fourth quarter and the overtime of the last game, since it was yes, the main talking point on the internet. Um, just just to, I mean, everybody who's listening to this by now, I'm sure knows that Miles basically didn't play very much at all in the fourth quarter, except for one stretch in the middle, and then shortly thereafter. Carlisle called a timeout, which at the time I was watching the game with somebody else. And I told them, I was like, I think that was just a timeout to get Sabonis a break. And they're going to put him right back in, which effectively is what happened. Then they put him in for the final possession and he didn't play in overtime. And obviously this led to 
you know, we don't know. I don't know what Miles exactly meant with the cryptic tweet that he sent out, but there were cryptic tweets and other social media stuff going on and whatever that was. But I'm, just to get your thoughts on what you thought when Miles wasn't playing in the fourth quarter in the overtime, I feel like we need to talk about that. Um, I mean, it definitely stuck out for me. Uh, I think we got to probably five minutes left in the fourth quarter. Um, and I was like, wow, okay, so Miles just isn't going to play. Um, and I couldn't really fault Rick Carlisle for that, if we're being honest. Uh, especially, I mean, Miles had a much better game yesterday, but even defensively still, like Al Horford dusted him a couple times. Like he had real problems yesterday defensively. Not, And again, it's, it, it's not just him. Like the entire... I mean, I tweeted out a, an egregious, terrible joke yesterday that we just have to call them the Sirs from now on because they have lost the point of attack. So um, no P in front, in front of that. Um, maybe that's what Miles meant. Uh, but I mean, just by his standards and his usual ability, like he has not been very good defensively the last uh, probably two weeks. I think we, we remarked on the last pot already. Um, and this Boston game was, was no different. Uh, both Boston games were no different. Um, and they were just frankly doing a better job of containing the ball if they were sending out hedges uh, or, you know, sending two to the ball in, instead of just trying to um, uh, to play with with Miles playing five. Like it just it was not working the same way. Um, and offensively, he wasn't was making shots like there. I mean, he was two of seven. He wasn't really I don't, don't want to say hunting shots, but he wasn't really asserting himself to. um to, to get some of those opportunities like we've harped on so many times, like, okay, if you want to get more usage in the offense, yes, no. Like, I mean, no, you're not getting the, the looks that you want to get, but part of that's because you just aren't entirely uh, like, that's not your game. And I think like we saw yesterday, Miles's game. Okay. If you want to seek out those opportunities, then you have to work your ass off to, to get them in the flow of the offense. We, we saw him get that yesterday, but that just wasn't happening in the first game. So he wasn't really having an awesome impact on the game. It made sense to me that he didn't play. Yeah, I mean, I think that my guess is he probably still would have played at the start of the fourth quarter if he didn't have four fouls. Yeah. I think that initially it started out as like, he has four fouls. We need to protect that in case we need him down the stretch. Then the units that were out there made the little bit of a run and he stayed on the bench. He came in for the little bit. Like I said, I, I think that that was just, you know, and then they immediately took the timeout. And I think that was just an attempt to get Sabonis a breather. Then when it was later, it just felt like it was about who was on the floor for Boston as well as what was happening on both ends of the floor for me. Because like you said, um, once Jalen and Jason, I mean, they just, they just don't have anybody. Torrey had some decent possessions even last night against Jason in particular, but they just don't have anybody, especially with TJ Warren out, to throw at those two guys. So basically, and more and more teams are doing this. Like I noticed it on Christmas Day, even the Phoenix Suns have done this at times. Like if Aiton got out on an isolation against Stephen Curry, the Suns blitzed it. They'd bring Jay Crowder over, and that's what the Pacers wanted to do. If Jalen or Jason caught it on the perimeter, even without a screen, they were blitzing it. That is very a tough coverage to execute for any team to be able to scramble out of, and it's been fun kind of for me to watch how teams have balanced pressure and containment versus, you know, force the ball out of the star's hands and, and let others beat you versus can we actually contain if we're in these, you know, three on four situations. And it would have been incredibly hard to do that with 
Turner and Sabonis on the floor at the same time. And they basically were communicating like, and as it turned out in the overtime, Jalen and Jason did get loose. Sometimes they were smart in what reads they made and they spun away from some of those traps and were able to get into the paint, but they wanted to try to force the ball into Grant Williams's hand in the corner or, you know, other things and make somebody else beat them. And then at the other end of the floor, like we already described and that first game, they were switching and swarming and they needed to have guys on the floor who in theory were either going to provide off ball gravity or we're going to be able to cut and make intuitive reads there. And then at the other end have mobile length, which is why I think they went with Lance and Justin and O'Shea and Tori. I thought just from a matchup standpoint, that's the way it went. And I know that Rick had mentioned when he got asked about the cryptic tweet, like, Hey, when we were in Utah and miles was making shots against Rudy Gobert in the drop, and he had made a lot of really good defensive plays. We probably would have closed with him at solo five in that particular game, because that's what made sense for the matchup. Like I, I just, Sometimes it comes off like whatever decision they're making in these instances is like these coaches are trying to spite themselves or something like miles to be Frank had not played well in those five prior games. And there wasn't a lot of reason for him not to like, it's not like he was having to defer to Karis Levert and Malcolm Brogdon and other people. There's places for him to find his own usage. And he showed in the second game that he can do that when he purposes himself to do it. And like you said, like, I don't really entirely know what's going on with his defense at times, but it seems at certain points, like he just hasn't been engaged at that end of the floor for whatever reason. So um, there was a possession in that overtime where Sabonis went and trapped Jalen, rotated out of the trap, blitzed Jason on an isolation and then funneled Jason out of bounds and forced a turnover. Like that was the type of effort he was giving. I don't think they really lost that game defensively on Monday. I think they lost it because they had too many stretches where they couldn't score. They went ahead 89, 85, and then they just came up over on, I believe four or five possessions. Like I, I thought that was the end of the floor. They lost it on. So um, I think that there's reasons for why Rick Carlisle did what he did. You can list a lot of them for basketball reasons. Why um, I don't even necessarily want to call it a benching, whatever you want to refer to it as. But um, I also just to, as we've always said on this podcast, if you can't find ways to close with both bigs in those situations against those types of lineups, whichever way you're going to go, then it's time to move on from one of them. Like, that's just the way I see it. You don't, you need to find somebody else who's going to help you at the end of the games to execute that type of stuff rather than having $18 million sit on the bench for almost an entire fourth quarter. Like, that's just the way I see it. Either find a way to close with both bigs or, you know, the trade deadline's a month away. Because this yeah. is like three years of this. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm, I mean, I'm right there with you. And that's how I feel going into uh, last night's game, especially putting all the starters together. Um, I mean, there's more minutia that we'll, we'll dive into. But my immediate – I mean, I, we got to probably, what, three or four minutes into the third quarter yesterday, and I was just like, okay, you know, I've seen this game play out a million freaking times. I've seen them be – Decent enough in the first half um, and then just completely fall apart in the third. Um, and I, I, it just feels like we're reading the same crummy book like over and over again. Uh, like you mentioned, the trade deadline is, is in a month. If this if, if there aren't significant moves made between now and then, and I'm, I don't know, I think I've gotten to the stage almost where I feel like more has to be done than just moving one guy because this is like, I mean, yesterday was egregious. Like, and it's not just not just to single out one person, but like, I know he was coming back from, from, from being out, but Karras's defense yesterday was, was uh, like just a new low. Like when you see Dwayne Washington 
and Kiefer Sykes come in and play the way that they did, even if it's not good defense, they're trying their asses off to see what Karras put out yesterday was like, I mean, it was just kind of a joke. We're being honest. Like Dennis Schroeder walked into, and to be fair, Dennis Schroeder's not a, he's not a great shooter, but he, you have to contest him. Like Karras just stood there. Like he put his arms up, but he gave him like six or seven feet of space and did not even contest. Um, and it's, again, it's not just him. Like there were just whole stretches yesterday. Um, I don't know. I'm just very over, uh, when the starting lineup is together, I would have rather seen O'Shea Brissett and uh, Kiefer Sykes play 35 minutes and start and or, or Isaiah Jackson get get time in the rotation than see what this team is putting out right now, because it, it just is not good basketball. They're clearly just not playing conjunctively at all. I mean, their communication has been terrible, uh, especially since their their start. Like, I mean, there's they're six and 13 and since since December. Um like even just on rebounds, uh, I mean, and it, it sounds dumb to bring up when they finished tied in rebounds yesterday, but even like just on defensive rebounds, there are so many miscommunications of guys not calling out the ball for one another or saying that they're getting the ball. I mean, it happens between Miles and Domas a lot. Um, it just like you can tell in watching, like watching day in and day out, like that. I mean, even again, like just the ball movement with the starters yesterday. Saying ball movement almost feels wrong because there, there wasn't really any other than uh, a flurry towards the end of the second quarter where Karras was was dishing the ball pretty well out of pick and roll. But even then, like, I don't know. I, I know it was a big, long rant, but that's that's just where I, I mean, I, that's kind of what I've been doing on since yesterday night. No, I was your rant is warranted. I mean, because I would even take it a step further. Like, I don't think they what you're saying is accurate. When they came out in the third quarter, the start of the third quarter was very bad. But the first quarter defense was oh, abysmal. Was, yeah, I mean, it, it was very bad. I don't understand um, several things. Karis did a lot of undisciplined things in defense on that game, because I agree with you. Like, it's not like Dennis Schroeder's a knockdown shooter, but to do that on back to back possessions when you're check, it's not he wasn't even being screened through stuff. He stood on the first one, watched him shoot it. And then on the next one, he did the exact same thing. And then he seemed to have like a reaction when he got taken out of the game after that. It's like in the first quarter, like he was next to Jason Tatum, but, and I don't even, this phrase gets very old on the ABC telecast, but to quote Mark Jackson, hand down, man down. He didn't even put a hand up with Jason Tatum shooting a three right in front of him. He gambled. He ran, he was shooting away, overshooting passing lanes. Jason dribbles right past him, all the way to the rim. I, I also am very confused about. Okay, like Robert Williams does a handoff with Jalen Brown. Brogdon goes under. If you go under, why are you having such a hard stunt at the ball? So Justin comes over and completely stunts at Jalen off of Jason Tatum for another wide open three. I don't know why Al Gra- why Al Gravity, why Al Horford was having the degree of gravity he was having in that first quarter either. Like they're hedging out of stuff. And quite honestly, like the perfect time to hedge is against a pick and pop big because you're going to have a straight line recovery path for miles or Sabonis to get back out of that. And instead of just letting the big recover, they were bringing the corner guy all the way off to stun against Al Horford and leaving one of the Jays or another shooter open. Like I, that cannot be what Rick Carlisle and Lloyd Pierce wanted like that. I, I can't fathom that they want like and I know that Al Horford took I don't remember who it was off the dribble early out of one of those possessions but like you live with it 
kind of like what the Celtics did in the third quarter. Like, okay, if Miles shoots over Grant Williams, he shoots over Grant Williams. If Al Horford starts lighting you up from threes out of pick and pop so that you can hedge against Jason and stay home on Jalen, that's just what happens. And yet, to point out another, like, I hate to just, like you said, it wasn't only Karras, but they're in the fourth quarter. And granted, the game was out of hand at this point. But again, Miles comes up above the level against Robert Williams, and his recovery angle was bad. But Robert Williams doesn't even really pop. He's at the three-point line as the release valve. And Karras comes free, clear from the other side and rushes him like he's Dirk Nowitzki because he wants to shoot the gap again and try to get a steal. It's like you just freaking two nine in the lane and wait for him to roll. Like just, and again, it's like you, like I know he was out with COVID and maybe some of that was a reconditioning issue with some of the closeouts early on. I want to blame it on that. But then when you can fly all around trying to get steals, it becomes a little bit harder to turn a blind eye to some of what the mistakes were. And then there's other times where like Robert Williams or somebody's coming down the lane and, and Miles is guarding Al Horford in the corner and he stays home on Al again. It's like, you got to protect the basket first. Like just so many uncharacteristic mistakes. I mean, I don't even know if they are uncharacteristic anymore, to be frank. Like, I mean, I just, I would be pretty disappointed. Like if I'm the coaching staff and I watch a lot of that back, I don't really think much of that was on the coaching staff. It was just poor execution from the people that are out on the floor. And it's kind of unfathomable because the defense from a defensive rating standpoint, like you said, was not good over the last five games, but it was a heck of a lot more watchable than what that was. And some of it's going to be three-point variants, like obviously defense, you know, for both teams when the Pacers are missing wide open threes and, and the Celtics were hitting some very contested threes, you know, whether shots make or miss really shouldn't paint our vision of what the defense is. But I can also point out to you about a million mistakes that were made by various players where it's like, why was that even the coverage? Um, it was, it was bad from the first half, got a little bit better in the second quarter. And then they came out after halftime and, and the defense fell apart again and just never really found its footing. So um, not, not a lot of good stuff there. Yeah, no, it was a, uh... It was very rough. I think that is the uh, the best way to put it. Um, part of that too, like even just uh, like the um, the, rep- the replacement players have kind of fallen back down to earth as well, which has been rough. Like uh, Lance, honestly, like Lance is still having a, a solid impact as a driver and, and finding yeah. his uh, his passes, especially out of ball screens. Um, like that's still been there. I thought he had a really impactful game in that sense, but his pull-up shooting has just kind of died since the Brooklyn game. Um, like he's still shooting well enough on pull-up threes, but the pull-up twos have absolutely gone away. Um, his catch and shoot threes are, are non-existent right now. Um, so just since the Brooklyn game, he's still shooting 37% on pull-up threes, which is, I mean, that's a good number. Uh, but again, it's small sample size, only taking two and a half a game. But, um, you know, on pull-up twos, 22% since the Broken game. Uh, which it felt high looking at that number. Um, it just hasn't quite been there for him. Uh, Kiefer has struggled from the field. I mean, Kiefer barely, barely even played last night, but in the in the game before he struggled. Um, so that's been a little bit tough. Uh, on, on a brighter note, though, O'Shea was really fun to watch last night. Um, I thought his he had some really impactful moments, uh, especially on the glass. Like uh, the one putback dunk he had was – fantastic um I I mean I said it earlier but I just want to see him start frankly like I, I want to see him play 
32, 35 minutes because it just like good things happen when he's on the court, which sounds very coach speak and uh, like something that like a, a disgraced college coach would say on ESPN when they're in the broadcast booth. But I don't know. It just it's it's hard for me to watch O'Shea and not say that he shouldn't be playing more. Yeah, I mean, he almost always gives effort. You don't really have to question that with him. I mean, his off-the-dribble game comes and goes. Like, there will yeah. be certain games where he can he's... do something out of a DHO, and it's like, whoa, DHO O'Shea. Yeah. And then there will be other games where he's kind of out of control. Um, yeah, on the offensive glass, I mean, I, again, I still don't – the third quarter when Robert Williams went and got those stitches, Al Horford was guarding O'Shea and, and Torrey Craig, I guess, to sag off. I mean, O'Shea shot the three fairly well this season, but – um, to put the smaller players on miles for whatever reason. But um, I think that my one holdup that I've noticed with O'Shea of late were, you know, and, and if they're not going to be winning games anyways, maybe you don't care. And maybe with time he improves, but I do think he's going to need to get stronger because yeah. his interior defense, he's, he's struggling to hold a spot against anybody with any type of semblance of post game. Um, he kind of just, backs out of the play he doesn't put up very much resistance so that's one area where I think he still needs to improve but in terms of his overall instincts when he moves he continues to move when he doesn't have the ball he shot the three pretty decently this year I think he's hovering right around 35 which was a number to watch given what he shot at Syracuse as well as in the G League and with the Raptors is whether that he could kind of hold on to what that was at the back end of last season and for the most part, I think he's done pretty well there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I rarely am like, oh, those, you know, I wish O'Shea wouldn't have got minutes. Yeah. Like, that's not often a thought that I have. Yes. No, I agree. And like you mentioned too, with the strength, um, I think I, I, I didn't check after last night's game, but I'd gone back through my notes and I'd recognized like my last three or four games. I'm like, I wonder what O'Shea's uh, field goal percentage on drives is because it can't be good. And I looked and yeah, he's at, he was at 39% on, on drives um, prior to last night's game, which is not great. Um, He's still flashy. Like he's had some actually quite nice live dribble passes off of the catch. Um, The accuracy still isn't quite there, but he's seeing the floor well and, and making some of those reads, which is nice. Um, I feel like he's made strides there, but again, like like you mentioned, like him him getting his weight up will definitely be uh, very important for him as a finisher and uh, and improving defensively as well on the interior. Yeah. So, I mean, what did you think? I mean, obviously, after the I I hesitate to call it a controversy, but there was enough people talking about it online. After Miles does get benched in that first game, what was your overall impressions of him in the second one? And and obviously then what happened after the game as well? Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to be too harsh with Miles, but um, I'm just at the stage where it feels very clear that um, like a move needs to be made either with, and again, we've talked about where we think it should go, but whatever needs to happen to rectify the situation one way or another, whether it, just, I mean, it, no, no pussyfooting around it, like just trading one of the bigs has to happen. Like it just cannot go on anymore. I think even waiting until the trade deadline is just kind of ridiculous. Um, you know, I know there's the notion that, um, uh, you know, Pritchard doesn't like doing midseason trades. I do not care at this point. I, I don't think that this is something that you can wait around for because it just 
like, again, I think if you were catching, you know, one game a week, maybe you wouldn't notice some of the stuff, but it's just felt like it's festering for a while. I mean, not felt like it clearly has been. And it's just hitting a stage where it's, it's not fun to, to like soak in the games and it hasn't been for a while. Um, and again, I'm a part of it. So I'm not a fan, so it makes it easier to, to not have fun with it, but, or maybe it makes it less easy considering this season, but um, it's just like, we don't need to have all this cryptic, cryptic crap happening on Twitter. This is, this is how it felt with, with Victor's last couple months on the team. And I just would like to see the front office be more proactive in making a decision one way or another um, like they were with Victor in that season. And part of it helps because once the season started, it wasn't as much a thing with Victor. Um, and I don't, this is not meant as like a, an attack on Miles's character or anything like that, but I just think it's so, it's just like looking at a, at a hostile work environment. That's what it is with this team right now. Like clearly, even if these guys don't quote unquote hate each other, they do not like playing together. Um, they do not like their situation, uh, but Mark, they say they do, <laughs> but I don't fucking care what they say because it's clearly like you can, you can say whatever they want. I mean, people can say whatever they want about what they say in post-game media availability. What I see on court is a group of players who just do not really care about playing together. Um, and it mostly comes through with, I mean, like Miles has made it clear with coming out in the media and saying that he wants a role change. And I don't, I'm not going to deny that he's um, like, I, I don't, I don't think that he's necessarily lying about, um, you know, he would be comfortable staying in Indiana as long as the role is different, but that clearly means not having Domas here. So again, the front office just has to do something about it because this is just, it's ridiculous and trying to paint it. Like I, like I understand that the front office has to make things look, you know, squeaky clean or whatever, but I think at some point you have to just claim, uh, your actual status and realize, Hey, yeah, we have, we fucked this up. Like, this is not good. We let this go on for too long. This is on us. And we have to take accountability for that. And they, they haven't thus far. And it's not going to be something they're going to do in the media, but uh, I mean, I I imagine you're at the same spot as me. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's just ridiculous at this point. I mean, some of it's just interesting to watch because after all of that happens, they come out of the first possession of the game, and I liked the play that they ran. It was basically a hot cut. Sabonis comes off a little screen at the elbow that's basically a decoy. And then on the opposite side of the court, that's with Brogdon dribbling on the wing, comes off a, a little pick from Karras. Karras pops out, and then on the opposite side of the court, Justin sets a ram screen for Miles to screen for Karras to slow down his defender. So then that's, that's effectively going to be a shot for miles is my long winded point here. Like it was evident that they drew up and made that play for miles to get a shot. Like there's a lot of good motion. There's potential other options, but this is like the third time. And it's not because I'm saying like, you know, you evaluate what, you know, matchups everybody has and what you're going to do on the first possession of a game. But a lot of times the first possession of a game does tell you a lot about what a team's thinking is. And after, you know, the night before the article comes out in the athletic, they did the same thing against the Knicks where a play I had never seen them run. They come out and run to get miles a shot on the first possession. And at times it just feels like they're trying to, to use an analogy, like grease a squeaky wheel a little bit, like, Oh, this guy, isn't happy with his role. So like, let's pander and, and, and do this thing for him, which he missed that first three. He hasn't been shooting the three. Well, but I mean, I think it's still important for him to shoot those shots. And I give him credit because he did recognize like, Hey, 
they're disrespecting me with this smaller defender on me and I'm huge and I can turn around and shoot over the top. And he was more, there's no reason he couldn't have been doing that in the first game, like, and been more aggressive looking for those opportunities. But at the same time, it's like what we talked about in the matchup against Utah. Like, yeah, at times Boyan Bogdanovich was guarding him, but then also in his solo five minutes, there was times where the center was guarding him just like last night where the second quarter before, you know, Robert Williams went out, he was guarding miles and miles is like, trying to post him and then getting frustrated when he doesn't get the ball. And it's like, okay, again, this is the math problem. Like issue though, is, is that the optimum possession to even be hunting when the Celtics are shooting you down from three and the, the Celtics were not going to come double miles in the post against Robert Williams. So even if he makes that two, you're just exchanging twos for threes. And it just kind of feels like, well, we need to do this because you know, he's not happy with what he's getting to do. Like there's just times where it feels like that awkwardly. And then other times where, I mean, I did a show with somebody in Boston where their opinion was like, it just kind of felt like he was invisible in that first game. And it feels like that's where it's wavered between for about the last two weeks. It's either like every possession, try to be getting him the ball while they're playing four out one in, or it's, and the reverse, like if they, most teams are going to bring two defenders to Sabonis, regardless of who's defending him. And then he's not seeking out the types of opportunities that would be around that. So um, he was more aggressive. I think that there was a few times where he was pretty much going to shoot the ball, no matter what, like he was just kind of came across like the quote in the athletic article. Like, you know, I had an effort mentality that when I touched the ball, I was going to try to score. Like that's what some of it felt like. But, you know, he was the game leading scorer. He took more shots than anybody else on the team. And then the game's over. And I don't know whose decision it was. I don't know if it was his decision or if it was the team's decision, but he wasn't made available to the media afterwards. And that kind of felt like either the team didn't want him to talk about whatever was going on on social media or he didn't want to talk about it, which unless, like you said, unless they feel like they might have some trade in the works, I don't think it's really going to matter. I think that eventually he will be made available to the media and somebody's going to ask him about it. And last night was probably an easy time to, to talk about it because if, if, if this ain't P was like a reference to my teammates aren't getting me the ball, then you could have been like, well, my teammates got me the ball tonight. And if it was a reference about playing time, I guess, you know, Maybe we need to have a segment about why Ajax and Gogo were in the closing lineup last night. Like some of it's just starting to wear a little bit thin. Um, I know that there was also, you know, people talking about, well, the shot distribution hasn't been right all season. And I'm like, I don't disagree with that. I think Karis has hunted shots in spot. It's I think that there has been moments where he's had blinders on and the guards could have been better at finding the role man, whether that was Turner or Sabonis. I've written entire columns about it, but at the same time, Karis wasn't playing the last five games. Like, do you really think Dwayne Washington Jr. and Kiefer and Lance were like, hey, I know what, I'm going to not make the right plays while I'm on potentially temporary deals and I'm trying to make my spot in the NBA. Like, I, I just think some of it's coming off from a little bit of a weird place for me about, you know, why they might be using both bigs in the ways that they have been using them lately and kind of searching for excuses where there probably shouldn't be some, but, um, I'm kind of with you. I mean, this is kind of the first time over this last week or so where it just feels like something needs to happen here because I don't really like being body language police, but some of the stuff that's happened in the last two games, when certain players come out or, you know, I, I don't get to do something that I want to do or feel like I get to do. And I'm like 
pushing my teammates hand off off of me or not wanting to take, you know, a high five from a teammate like that stuff has stood out pretty evidently. And I did notice, like, I don't know if you did, but in the game on Monday, you know, we, we talk about how this team doesn't have a vocal leader a lot of the time. And I know that the broadcast had said that ironically, or Kiefer has been doing some of this as a guy that was on a non-guaranteed deal up until last week, but you could see a lot of spots where whether in huddles or out on the court where Sabonis was trying to like rally the troops when things weren't going well, trying to manage morale. And like, you could always see him in the past, like directing traffic from like a tactical standpoint, but wasn't always so much the type of personality necessarily that was going to try to show, like I said, more like morale leadership with guys or what needed to be happening. And I know Rick Carlisle pointed that out after the game too, that like, yeah, Sabonis didn't have a great game from the field, but he's always going to keep fighting. He was there for his teammates. And like, then you didn't really see that so much last night in the same way or as, as exaggerated as I felt it had been over the last five. So it kind of makes you wonder what the overall dynamic is and what we've always said that when they're on like this more, you know, even playing field pecking order and nobody wants to step on the, anybody's toes, it doesn't feel like a leader always rises up out of that. And when they got hit in the mouth last night, they just pretty much took the punch and just, that was that. Like, I didn't really feel like there was long stretches last night where they were rallying minus a few, you know, couple bursts in the second quarter yeah no exactly um it just never really felt like there was any kind of counter the only way that uh, i mean like the only reason where it where it felt like the game even got close in the um towards the end of the first quarter and in the second was because the celtics stopped shooting 70 percent from three like um i mean like you mentioned earlier off off the off rip like jason tatum was i think he hit like three threes in a row, like all back to back to back. Almost all of them were contested. Um, Jalen Brown just hit a couple of shots that were incredibly well contested. Um, and then obviously, like I mean, it was just the the polarity of the Pacers. That maybe that's P, uh, because the shots either contested or it's just completely wide open because somebody is not going out to defend it. But um, yeah, no, I agree. Um, I totally lost my train of thought with that, but. Um, other thing I was thinking too, off of last night, I mean, do you, I don't, I don't want to, again, we're not medical professionals. I don't want to question the team, but I, I was pretty surprised that Malcolm played, um, after even just watching him for a couple minutes was like, yeah, he clearly doesn't have his burst right now. Um, he didn't look comfortable taking shots. Like he didn't take any threes last night. He passed out of a couple where part of that is just probably being a little bit more gun shy considering how his, uh, his shooting has gone this year. But also, like, he just felt he, he looked, like, very uncomfortable trying to get any lift. Um, it was clearly not himself yesterday. And, again, part of that is trying to get reacclimated. You, you're never going to be 100% fully when you're coming back into a game. But uh, clearly re-aggravated that Achilles, um, as the team mentioned, uh, when he, he left the game. Um, so that was a little bit disheartening to see. Yeah, and I think – I mean, it had to have been tougher, too, because I don't know exactly what the extent of his – you know, quarantine experience was, but in terms of doing rehab for that injury, if he needed to, I, I I don't know if he was able to do that to the same extent and probably, you know, to work back to get his conditioning because he was already out before he got put in health and safety protocols. So like a lot of confounding factors there, but I agree with you. I was a little bit surprised. I mean, again, neither of us are doctors or trainers. And if, if they said it was safe and fine for him to play, then, you know, I would trust that ruling and opinion clearly, but 
Um, it didn't look like there was one play where they run, like I said, I ran, I wrote about earlier in the season where um, the guard and the wing, ex- the guard and the trailing big effectively exchange from the corner to the top of the key. And then the ball handler will pass to that wing popping up to the top and they reverse the ball around and there's like a fake flare screen and they, then they reverse it all the way back into pick and roll. He like short circuited that play. And I was like, Oh wow. He's, he's really showing a little bit of burst there. Cause when the wing came up to the top, he just, he turned down that pass to attack into the open gap. And I was like, you know, he might be all right. And then there was other times where he was on the sideline where, you know, they switched it and he could not get past on the switch. Like he couldn't turn the corner or he couldn't get around on the baseline to the other side. Like we know that he loves reverse layups, but he, he couldn't does. even he couldn't even get to the reverse layup. So um, I know there was a lot of chatter about, you know, I just don't like watching Brogdon at point guard and they're playing slower because of him. Like there was good pacing in the half court on some of their sets early on. It was more about what was going on defensively yeah. in the first quarter. That was the problem. Um, plus like the Pacers and, and this is nothing against Kiefer, but they weren't playing at a fast pace when uh over the last five games. Like I think that they were in the bottom 10 of pace and that's in terms of obviously volume of possessions, but, um, and Kiefer really wasn't even doing like a ton of, you know, point guard stuff in terms of like creating shots for other people with deception or, you know, passing angles. They were running a lot. And this was something that was kind of missing a bit last night that they were running a lot more floppy and off screen stuff where he was able to make like simple, like, you know, I'm passing to, the he was deception. doing the Darren Collison role. Right, okay. right, exactly. Like, the deception is more on behalf of, like, what was the case for Darren back then. Like, the deception is on behalf of Boyan Bogdanovich to set up mm-hmm. his man away from the ball and get open, and I make the simple pass to him open. So, to make a straight comparison there between the two of them, I don't know that's necessarily fair. Like, I think you and I both see Brogdon as having some limitations of a point guard, but I don't really think that what was going on was, like, a product of him showing selfishness or like whatever else. I think it was just, he was somewhat limited, not healthy and, and their defense was a train wreck. Yeah, no, I'm uh, undoubtedly. Um, also, it seemed like uh, it felt like half the team had kinesio tape on yesterday. Uh, yes. And I don't think I'd ever noticed that before. Um, Miles, like I, Miles has been wearing it on his, his, I think his calves for a while. And then oh. Sabonis had it on on the arm that he got pulled a couple weeks ago. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people taped up. Uh, yes. The Pacers. Uh, what a team. Um, what else do you want to hit on in this episode? I think we've pretty much covered both the last two games and, and the stuff going on. Um, is there anything else that's standing out to you right now? I mean, other than the fact that like, I thought it was funny um, because somebody on Twitter had asked, Scott after the game, Scott Agnes over at Fieldhouse Files, like, can you give any positives about the Pacers right now? And he said something nice about um, the birth of Duarte's baby daughter. And then um, the fact that everybody's back out of COVID protocols, except for um, one of the coaches and obviously the head athletic trainer, which isn't exactly ideal. And then (laughs) that the trade deadline's less than a month away. Yeah. And that's kind of, I mean, genuinely, like I'm not a person who looks, everyone knows this. I don't exactly look forward to the trade deadline. I don't look forward to the constant, like sending stuff to me about trades or like in the last week, you wouldn't believe the amount of people from like other markets who are like, well, this is what I heard. Uh, The Pacers offered X team for this, for this guy, you know, this, 
this type of stuff, or this player doesn't want to be there anymore. That player doesn't want to be there anymore. You know, the types of podcast rumors that have been going on for forever. Like the sooner that stuff can be done and they can move on with whatever type of team they want to be is probably better for everybody as well as when Ben Simmons actually gets traded to some other team. And we don't have to have segments talking about like the merits of surrounding him with basically no shooters here on the Pacers and, and whatever else I look forward to February 11th. Yeah. Um, I look forward to hopefully a day before February 11th, please God. Um, I just, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I don't know. I think if you'd given me like two or three weeks ago, like, I, I don't know. I think I could have made the case. Yeah. They, I, I just want to see TJ Warren come back whenever that's going to be. And we can just maybe see some confident basketball. I'm just at the point, like, like we talked about earlier, I just want to see the young guys play. Um, honestly, um, I've been watching a ton of draft prospects, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into at some point. Um, Cause this team, I mean, they have pretty much guaranteed themselves a lottery selection. Like that is uh there's really no way around that after this, this recent stretch, um, and I think that's going to be a good thing, hopefully, at least for the team moving forward. Depends on uh, what Herb Simon really wants to do. I would like to think that his mind has changed since uh, he last sat down and talked with the media, um, because it should. Um, I would be very questioning if it hadn't. But uh, yes, I mean, the um, fact of the matter is, is they don't they don't have to tank like they're already losing yeah, games the well, way yeah, exactly. that they are. And exactly what you're saying, like it shouldn't be a downer when your team gets healthy. And yet last night's game was a downer. Like it was not as watchable as the prior stretch. It wasn't super enjoyable product to watch. And not just because it was a loss and not just because Jalen and Jason were cooking and combined for 60, however many points. And I realized that they also combined for 50 on Monday. It just, it didn't, it, it, it had a different feel to it. Yeah. Um, and beyond that is just in the back of their heads as well. They have to be considering the fact that there's not going to be a lot of sellers at this trade deadline. It doesn't seem like they could be one of few teams putting players out there where they actually are ready to move on from players. While a lot of teams might still be, you know, chasing the play in tournament or having like delusions that they might still make the playoffs. It seems like that's going to be more the case based on what various reporters have said. I think that has to be considered at February and just the reality that unless I mean, I shouldn't say unless, of course they do, that if they think, you know, they obviously have more information than we do about any of this, about where the market's going to shake out, about if they think, you know, there's some other player that they really like who might be available by the draft. I suppose that's something that they'd have to weigh and consider. But at this point in time, I just feel like for the sake of what products being put out on the court, for the thought process of what you said, like the players, the coaching, I get you're still trying to win games. That's, you know, they all are competitive. You're not going to go out there and try to, to lose games. I don't think any team wants to do that. But uh, the better path for them moving forward is for them to stay and get a good lottery pick headed into the summer. So if that's going to be the case, I'm with you. I'd rather that just start watching, you know, basically the product that we were watching the last five games other than to move one of the bigs. And I think, you know, this is the strongest I felt about what direction they need to go on that part over just what we've seen here. And, and I wouldn't make that decision. Let me back that. Let me back that off a little bit. I strongly do not think that you make that decision like, Oh, 
this guy scored 40 against the jazz and that's that keys in what big you should keep moving forward or oh miles scored 30 against the houston rockets like no that is ridiculous you're not making a trade referendum based on one game or you know what type of defense those two teams were playing with guys out or just what type of defense houston plays in general which was quite bad that particular night that's not what you're going to do but it just feels like something has to give here and and Clearly, like, and again, I'll wait for Miles's explanation on what's going on exactly and what he's feeling like, but it seems pretty evident that he isn't happy with what he's doing, or at least what his situation is. I don't know how else to read that. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, he's put it out pretty clearly. So um, I just hope things get figured out and, and he's happy um, and we can, again, see them, uh, see them rectify the situation so that it can actually be about basketball. Um, yeah, exactly. what I would love to see have happen. But yes, um, with that, I think that's a great point to leave off uh, for our our latest episode of the Indie Cornrows podcast. Caitlin, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to everyone listening. Thank you for listening. As always, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. I think you can do it on Spotify now. Um, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we will be back next Monday with another episode of the pod. Uh, team takes on the Phoenix Suns tomorrow on Friday, or I guess to no, yeah, tomorrow's Friday. Um, tomorrow on Friday, and then I don't think they play again until Sunday night. Um, so yeah, we'll have some good stuff coming up. Caitlin, I'll talk to you later. To everyone listening, thank you for listening. Have a good rest of your day.